I believe in taking my home diet into the backcountry. So if I'm doing a good job of eating well at home, then I can take those same things into the backcountry with me. Hey everyone, Shanti here. Welcome back to the Out and Back podcast. This week, we're talking with Aaron Owens Mayhew, founder of the outdoor meal planning website, Backcountry Foodie. Aaron is a registered dietitian who became overwhelmed by the meal planning process when she attempted a through-hike at the PCT in 2017. As a result, she mixed her nutritional expertise with her passion for the outdoors and came up with an ultra-light backpacking meal plan that uses pretty much all of the normal food that you would eat at home. I want to provide a little warning to everybody. We get a little nerdy on this one, diving into macros and talking about carb, fat, and protein ratios for long-distance hiking. We also talk about the difference between freeze-dried and dehydrated food. And Aaron tells us about her first backpacking experience, eating MREs, delicious, and how she evolved into making delicious, actually delicious, lightweight, compact, and inexpensive meals out on the trail. I can't wait for this one because I'm actually going to try out some of her tips when I go hiking on the Uinta Highline Trail this weekend. But before I go pack my food and head out to the Uintas, I'm going to make sure to download the USGS Topo map on Gaia GPS. It's my favorite map to hike with because of its large scale, showing all the details you need to navigate when the trail fades away. And I have some really good news. Right now, podcast listeners can get the USGS Topo map and all the other Gaia GPS maps at a huge discount. Just go to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast to get up to 50% off on select memberships. That's G-A-I-A-GPS.com slash podcast. For as little as $32 per year, you can access the best Topo maps, National Geographic Trails Illustrated maps, motor vehicle maps, park service maps, forest service maps, satellite imagery, and so much more. So hop on to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast to take advantage of this great deal. You won't regret it. And now, without further ado, here's Aaron Owens Mayhew of Backcountry Foodie. With me is Aaron Owens Mayhew, creator of the meal planning service Backcountry Foodie. Thanks for being on the show today, Aaron. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. So I guess I want to start by asking for those in our audience who might not know, um, what exactly is Backcountry Foodie and what's the goal of it? Um, Backcountry Foodie is an online recipe and meal planning platform for backpackers. Um, And it came about, I've been a registered dietitian now for almost 20 years. Um, So it came about in my own personal interest in trying to eat better while backpacking. Um, And I just noticed a lot of people were struggling with their meal planning. So my goal is to have this as the go-to website that you can go and get all the information that's science-based. So you can really trust the information and hopefully eat a little bit better while you're backpacking. True. Eating better while backpacking, a very easier said than done. So how did the idea and creation of a backcountry foodie come about? Or I guess maybe the first thing I'd love to know is what was your first experiences with the outdoors and traveling into the backcountry and eating while traveling in the backcountry? What were your first experiences with that? Um, It wasn't until I was an adult, adult, because I grew up on the East Coast and my family, they weren't backpackers or hikers. So it wasn't until I moved to Seattle after graduate school that I was actually dating a guy at the time that was in the army. And so he was like, oh, I'm a backpacker. Let's go for a weekend trip. It's like, great. I've never done this before. So let's see how this goes. Um, And lo and behold, he was more of a rucksack kind of guy versus a backpacker. So my very very first experience with backpacking food was taking MREs in the backcountry. (laughs) 
and not knowing any different. That's just what I thought you ate <laughs> because this is my very first experience. And I mean, even then I was probably, I took a backpack from REI's garage sale. That was probably a 70 liter pack, didn't fit. I was wearing oh. mountaineering boots because I had no idea what kind of boots I was <laughs> needed to wear. I wore <laughs> blue jeans and a cotton t-shirt. So it was a horrible experience. But I've since learned and I am where I am today, almost 20 so then, years later. So then how did that transition go? Like it wasn't the first time hiking in jeans and carrying an unbelievably heavy pack and probably getting tons of chafing. You're like, oh, oh yeah. screw this. I'm done with this. Like you kept going with it. Um, well, I fell in love with the outdoors. I've always been an athlete. So um, moving to Washington State, it was just like, oh, my gosh, this is a whole new world that I hadn't experienced before. Um, so I ended up falling in love with backpacking and that relationship ended. So I ended up going on to other relationships that were also a little bit more experienced backpackers. So I learned what true backpacking was um, and it's just gone from there. Yeah. So then ultimately, if I'm not mistaken, a few years ago, you it ultimately culminated in you doing a through hike, right? Right. Back in 2016, I would have what I called a midlife crisis. Um, I started doing things that I normally wouldn't do. I'm a very structured person. Um, so I didn't like work anymore. And I'm one that absolutely loves my work. I work really hard, so I didn't care anymore. It was a two hour commute. Um, also, I planned a trip. There's another one of my dating stories. <laughs> I planned a trip with a guy I met online to go to the Philippines and Bali that I'd never met before. So that was odd. <laughs> so, and then I custom ordered a luxury vehicle um, online. So that was definitely, I'm very frugal. So that was definitely something was off. <laughs> so um, that's when I decided, okay, I need a break. Um, I had always wanted to do the PCT because again, I was loving backpacking. So I was like, this is the perfect time for me to quit my job, try something new and figure out what's next for me. Because obviously this isn't right what I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what, what was the reason for the PCT having grown up on the East Coast? This is opposed um, to like the AT. Um, primarily because I had spent so much time hiking by then in Washington State that I just love the mountains. I love the remoteness of it too. So I really need just to check out for a while. Um, and I knew the PCT was so much more remote than the AT that that was one of my goals too, is just get out there, figure out what's going on, what am I doing next kind of thing. Cool. So then... You being a dietitian, I'm curious, and with your initial experiences with having the MREs in your first backpacking trip. So what was the eating experience like for you on your through hike of the PCT? Especially with you being a dietitian, I think like you start going through the through hiker diet and it's probably a horrifying experience. Um, that's actually where Backcountry Foodie started. Um, because when I was prepping for the PCT at that time, I only knew about Mountain House because that's what I had done up until that time period. I had never made my own food. Um, so once I started figuring out that I was like, okay, five months worth of Mountain House isn't financially feasible, nor do I think I can eat that for five months. So that's when I started kind of reading blogs and what other people are doing. I was like, okay, I'm a dietitian. I can't eat Pop-Tarts. I can't do honey buns. I can't eat that much tuna. I know there's mercury exposure, number one, for eating that much tuna for six months. Um, so I started panicking. I was like, this isn't going to work. And then I was reading about people losing 30 and 40 pounds. And at that time, I didn't have 30 pounds to lose. So again, I started panicking. I was like, I'm a dietitian. I can't go off trail because I lost too much weight. That's just not an option. <laughs> so yeah. then came the, I've got to figure out how to make my own food. So then came the, now I can't physically carry all this food. So then I started tinkering more with food. And that's where the ultralight meal planning idea came up. Um, so I was able to manipulate food enough to where it's super high calorie, super nutritious, and the least amount of weight. 
And that was the beginning of Backcountry Foodie. So that's what went onto the PCT with me. So then what was a good example? What were some good examples of uh, the meals that you were eating while you were hiking the PCT? Like it wasn't like my idea is pop tarts and power bars for <laughs> breakfast, like a summer sausage or block of cheese for lunch. Uh, and then like mac and cheese or ramen for dinner. Um, it's actually even evolved since then because I've learned so much from thousands of miles of hiking. Um, back then, I would do um, oatmeal for breakfast like most hikers, but I'd beef it up with nuts and coconut milk and coconuts and berries and all those things. So it wasn't just an instant pack of oatmeal. So I would take 100 calorie oatmeal and make it into five or 600 calories. Um, I never took tortillas. I never took white rice just because there isn't enough nutrition in the amount of food. So I would do a lot of quinoa, a lot of beans, a lot of hummus. I'm vegetarian too. So that's part of it. Um, so those kind of things. And I've since transitioned to a big believer of eating my regular home diet into the backcountry with me. Um, because I just function so much better eating what I call normal food. It's just dry version. <laughs> right. Right. So this is then, I guess, what I want to start getting into talking about um, meal planning and what backcountry food is about. So I guess for the audience, what are some of the key points that you think people should know when it comes to meal planning and prepping for a trip into the backcountry? Or maybe back up for a minute. What might be some myths or misconceptions people might have about meal planning for trips into the backcountry? Um, the big one that I like to talk to people about is that golden rule of packing the two pounds of food per day, um, because I don't think people, they've spent so much time thinking about gear and all those kind of things that I don't think they put the amount of effort into food as they probably should. Um, so they follow the two pounds. It's like, oh, I'll just throw two pounds of food in a bag and I'm set. I'm ready to go. But that two pounds could be 2,500 calories if it tends to be heavier food, or it could be 6,000 calories if you do a really good job of figuring out what's in that 6,000 calories. Um, so I think if people take the time to start reading food labels and paying a little more attention to what's in their food, then they're able to actually carry less food and feel better and have more nutrition. With your plans, um, how much would you say is your average daily food weight in comparison? Um, that completely depends on the trail that I'm doing. So I've really fine-tuned it to where kind of moderate days, I don't know, 10 or 15 miles, I can usually do 3,500 calories or so where there's not a lot of elevation gain. And that's usually about a pound and a half of food per day. Um, on the PCT, I was doing 20-mile days. It's not terribly where I was. The elevation wasn't too bad because um, the grade's about 10% most of the way. Um, I packed 5,000 calories, but then I also did part of the AT and I ate over 6,000 calories there because I was doing 24-mile days up and down and up and down all day. Yeah, 24 um, miles on the AT feels like, I think, 30 miles on the PCT. Right, right. And I would even go into town and eat even more. Like, I'll never forget the time I ate 6,000 calories of my backpacking food and then had 10 tacos when I went into town. And I, I quit eating at 10 because I was so embarrassed and I didn't want to order any more. <laughs> was that your biggest meal ever uh, when you went backpacking, like going into town having 10 tacos? Oh, absolutely. And actually, I ended up leaving and going and having like a protein bar and an ice cream at the convenience store across the street because I was still hungry. <laughs> real quick before i want to go on to another misconception i gotta tell you about what my yep. biggest meal was on my at through hike when i was in parisburg um i had an entire large stuffed crust supreme pizza from pizza hut an entire family order of cheese sticks and a two liter bottle of pepsi whoa 
Wow. I did eat a large pizza on the PCT, but that doesn't compare to what you just said. I think it's a through-hiking tradition at this point where it's like everybody has to eat a large pizza at least once over the course of a through-hike. Right. (laughs) Because you can't pack those out. You don't need to worry about, you know, a pound rule for that. (laughs) So actually, and it's funny with the pizza question, this is uh, another uh, question or maybe a myth or misconception. Um. For backpacking meals, do you have to use processed food or is it like, can you make healthy backpacking meals without processed food? Absolutely. No, you don't have to use processed food. That's again, being a dietitian, that's my big believer of taking my regular home food, which I eat fairly well. Um, I do have treats from time to time. You will see Snickers in my backpack. (laughs) I mean, you will see (laughs) treats. I'm a big sugar fan. So you'll see treats in my backpack, but for my meals and snacks. Um, like I said, it's going to be couscous, quinoa, um, beans, hummus, um, a lot of berries, a lot of nuts. I mean, any of those kind of things that are just regular foods that I would normally eat at home um, into the backcountry. And again, I've just figured out like yogurt. My favorite breakfast is yogurt, berries, um, and granola because that's what I eat at home. I just use a freeze-dried yogurt, berries, and granola on the trail. So, Yeah. So then with all these foods that you're mentioning, they all seem to be very calorie dense foods. Do you feel like that has to be a staple going to the backcountry? You should always be aiming for calorie dense foods. Um, just because of the way I like to plan, I, I'm an ultralight backpacker too. So mm-hmm. I'm a gram counter. I keep everything as light as possible. So part of that is also keeping my food as light as possible. Um, but it's not just calories. You also need to pay attention to carbs because not all calories are equal. You could yeah. eat a lot of sugar calories and feel terrible. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so you need to pay attention to your carbs. You need protein to recover. You need fat for the long energy burning fuel. Um, so I don't focus on just calories, which I think a lot of hikers do. They're just like, I need that 5,000 calories, but they don't necessarily pay attention to where those calories are coming from. Yeah. And I actually want to get into that a little bit, talking about like what what macros we should be focusing on or maybe specific vitamins and minerals we should focus on. But um, just sticking with the calorie thing, like, do you have a like calorie density basis that you rely on like should it be 100 calories per ounce 150 calories is there like a magic number um again i think it depends on the person what your goals are um personally i try to shoot for 150 calories per ounce just because that's i can get as light as possible i can get 5,000 calories in about 150 um but at the same time i'm also getting my protein and my carbs and all those things in there Um, so I actually do coaching too, nutrition coaching. So some of my clients that may be men that weigh 200 pounds, but only need 3,500 calories, I can't get all that squeezed into 3,500 calories. So the overall density might only be 125 calories per ounce. Um, so that I can get a little nerdy about that and talk about all the numbers. Well, there's a whole Um, science to it. It's amazing. It's a science. All right. Which is why I love doing it. I'm a nerdy dietitian and love all the number crunching. So uh, this is what I do for a living now. (laughs) Yeah. And when you do all this number crunching, I wonder if there's like some sort of secret formula that goes into it. Um, I remember on an earlier episode of the podcast, we talked about like when you purchase a tent or something for uh, traveling into the backcountry, it's like you can choose from three of four categories, but you can't have all four like uh, durable, uh, properly priced, uh, comfortable and uh, lightweight. Um, you can only have three of those four. Um, but then I wonder for backcountry food, it's like, I always feel like there's a sense you can have two of three things, calorie dense food, food that tastes good and cheap, but you can't have all (laughs) three. Um, do you find that to be true at all? Um, yes. Eating, well, this is generally at home too. Eating healthy is more expensive. 
yeah. processed foods are, are cheaper. So that's part of it. A lot of through hikers ask, well, how am I going to eat on the cheap while I'm through hiking? It's like, well, you have to make your, what's your priority? Do you want to feel good, recover and do well and spend a little bit more? Or do you want to keep your budget really low and not necessarily be able to eat as well? Um, so I would agree with that. Calories and health are going to be better than you can't necessarily get all three. Um, but I am really good about keeping the price of the food down. Um, just using ingredients you can get at the grocery store versus using only freeze dried ingredients, which tend to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, what is some of these regular ingredients that you would be grabbing from the store to keep your, uh, price tag down a bit? Um, let me think of it. Well, one of our recipes everybody loves and it's, it's ramen, which hikers love. It's inexpensive. I'm, I'm okay with ramen. I don't need it every Currency. single day. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a quarter. So there's our garlic Parmesan ramen is ramen, Parmesan cheese, parsley, garlic powder, a little salt and olive oil. I mean, those are all normal ingredients that aren't terribly expensive. Um, and I want to say it's like 600 calories and like one brick of ramen. So and you're just going to get actually more nutrition in all those ingredients than just eating the ramen by itself. Yeah. So then what would be like, let's say a typical day of backpacking, 10 to 15 miles, um, you know, maybe a couple thousand feet of elevation gain um, following the backcountry foodie plan. What would you say might be a good standard meal schedule? Like three examples of meals you could put together following a backcountry foodie plan. Um, well, because I really believe in keeping your energy maintained over the day, I'm a big believer in snacking in between meals, um, because you can hit the wall within 90 to 120 minutes. So I've noticed a lot of people may eat a huge breakfast, a big lunch, and might snack in the after afternoon and then have dinner. Um, so I'm a big believer in breakfast, lunch, and dinner with snacks in between. Um, it might be two to three snacks, depending on how long you're hiking out there. Um, so again, breakfast, some kind of oatmeal or quinoa or I don't know, something. And then lunch, a lot of people like to cold soak. So maybe oh, some hummus, bean dip, um, that kind of thing. And then dinner, I usually do some kind of pasta because I'm trying to reload carbs by the end of the day. Um, so that's kind of a, what a typical day would be. And then snacks would be nuts and berries and those kind of things throughout the day, too. Actually, and you mentioned cold soaking a second ago, and I was curious about this. Um, what is the difference between cold soaking versus no cooking? I, I don't think there was any point on my through hike like I was ever doing cold soaking because I didn't know what it was. Yes. Um, cold soaking is truly that you're actually having to soak the food uh, for an extended period of time. So a lot of pastas and ramen is in a, will actually cold soak within, I'd say, 45 minutes to an hour or so. It would be edible without cooking it. Um, and other noodles, like I use a lot of penne pasta, bow tie pasta, will take usually an hour and a half to two hours to rehydrate. No cook being just add water and it's ready to eat right away. Um, so I do a lot of meal replacement drinks um, because there's times where I'm just too tired to eat <laughs> mm -hmm. or I don't want to chew. <laughs> so I need nutrition to go in and energy, but I don't want to chew another bar. So I would do a meal replacement drink, which is a no cook. You just add water and it's ready to go. Yeah. And so it sounds like um, these meals, including like even your replacement drinks, but when you go towards meals where you're doing like cold soaking or no soak, these recipes don't seem complicated is there's no like multiple steps to them no they're again i try to make things really easy because that's my goal is for people to eat healthier when they're backpacking um so the easier the recipes are i think the more likely people are to make the recipes um so it's just i'm a freezer bag cooker so everything goes into a single bag add water whether it's hot or cold and it's ready in 10 to 15 minutes nice 
super easy. Yeah, I'm not I'm, a believer in simmering. That's, that takes way too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when you're putting these meals together, do you need special equipment to make these meals, like a dehydrator, for example? Um, depends. For the most part, well, again, we live in a van now, so I don't have access to an oven or <laughs> those kind of things. We don't have enough power for a dehydrator. Um, so the dehydrator is primarily for if you want to dry your own fruit, if you want to dry your own pasta, those things, instead of purchasing those. Um, but otherwise, I don't make meals as, as a whole, I guess you could say, and then dehydrate them. Um, just because that's not how we're set up. Um, and it takes a lot more time to do that. So my big belief is using dry ingredients, just dump all dry ingredients in a bag and it's done within five minutes or less. And what would be some examples of the dry ingredients that you'd recommend um, for someone who doesn't have a dehydrator? Um, again, like you can go to the grocery store. Trader Joe's is an awesome place for freeze-dried fruit. Um, so you can go there at the dollar store even. Again, I'm frugal. So the dollar store, you can go in their snack section and they'll have little bags of freeze-dried fruit that you could pick up. Um, at a lot of the bulk bins, you can get a lot of dehydrated fruit there. Um, those kind of things. Again, Parmesan cheese is another regular ingredient you can get at the grocery store. Um, so if you go through the aisles, you can actually find quite a bit of backpacking food if you stay away from the honey bun aisle. So <laughs> well, that's cheat day. That's what that's what you snack on outside yeah. while you're waiting for your ride back to the trail. <laughs> for those who do have a dehydrator, um, I'm curious to know about this because uh, my wife, my amazing, wonderful wife, dehydrated a bunch of food for me uh, and sent it to me while I was doing my through hike of the AT. And we uh, we've been dehydrating meals quite a bit since then. But we're still kind of wondering, like, what the secret formula might be or like which ones are going to be the best options for us. So a couple questions about dehydrating. Does does dehydrated food ever go bad? Um, eventually any kind of, any food's going to go bad eventually. Um, so the dehydrating your own food at home, you just have to be really careful about dehydrating it well enough to where it's completely dry. If it's even remotely moist, then it's going to have mold growth. Um, and then some people are really excited about dehydrating, want it to work fast. So they crank up the heat a lot higher than it should be. So what happens is the case hardening, the outside dries before the inside. Um, especially like berries that have a waxy outer coating. Um, so those are at risk for going bad because the moisture is still there and can it, um, be released. So they're going to potentially go um, bad from mold there. Um, then there's some foods that you just don't want to dehydrate. So dairy, I'm not a believer in doing dairy products because the thought of me having a thing of milk sitting out for 16 hours at 135 degrees just sounds like food poisoning waiting to happen. Oh, God. Um, Horrible things. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. There's just some things you shouldn't dehydrate just for food safety purposes. And then foods that you don't de that you can dehydrate. Um, are there any from that list that don't rehydrate well? Like it's tougher than to actually add water back into them and actually have them still tasting well and like they did before they were dehydrated. Peas and corn for me. I will only use freeze-dried peas and corn because I just don't feel like peas and corn dehydrated just don't come back to life as well. Um, so those are the two big ones. But for the most part, and dehydrated food, it just takes a little longer to bring it back to life versus freeze-dried. Um, so that's another one of those. If you want to eat faster, then freeze-dried ingredients rehydrate faster So versus the dehydrated. And so what is the big difference between freeze-dried and dehydrated? Um, freeze-dried number one retains 97% of its nutrition. 
Um, so that's another reason why I like it. Unfortunately, it is expensive because of the way it's processed. It's made. It's an expensive process. Um, but it does retain more nutrition. It does rehydrate faster um, than dehydrated because it is exposed to heat for so long. It can lose up to 50 percent of its vitamins. Um, so that's one of those you just kind of have to keep in mind for a weekend backpacking trip. No big deal. Uh, if you're doing a through hike or even the triple crown and you're out there for that many months, then you actually might be at risk for deficiencies um, because it's lost many of its vitamins. Yeah. Yeah. So for a deep, for a uh, freeze drying piece of equipment, is there a specific brand you would recommend using or how much do they usually cost? I wish I had one, <laughs> but they're usually like $3,000 or more. Um, or oh, right. oh, I had no idea they were that expensive. Oh, that yeah. idea is going out the mine now. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, Harvest Ride is the one that most um, consumers at home would buy and use. Um, they come in and they're not small. So that's another thing. We don't exactly have a place in the van to put one right now. <laughs> um, but Harvest Ride is the most common brand and they're usually several thousand dollars. So by the, you have to make hundreds of meals to really kind of make your money back. Um, wow. But if that's something you enjoy doing and that some people, it's really worth it. All right. Well, if I ever find uh, gold when I'm out on my next hike or something, <laughs> then maybe I'll know what my next investment will be. Holy crap. I had no idea they were that expensive. Yeah. So, and this is something I actually didn't, I didn't know that, that freeze dried, you're able to hold way more calories than like what you would do through the dehydrating process. And so, yeah, if someone's going on a through hike or a very long distance hike, they could run a deficiency for themselves. Um, compared to freeze drying. So now I actually want to get into that and specifically talking about uh, macros, carbohydrates, fats, protein. Um, so I guess my first question is, what are the ideal macros you say for like outdoor adventures or long distance hiking or sports with high energy output? Like what's a good breakdown of carbohydrates, proteins, fats? Okay, I'm going to get nerdy again. <laughs> so, this is a good part, yeah. <laughs> um, so for because you're putting so much stress on your body, your daily needs are so much more than what you're going to have at home. Um, for carbohydrates, I use six grams per kilogram body weight. So whatever that is for you is what my total carb goal is for the day. And then I just split that up into if I'm going to have three meals per day and then my snacks. So I just spread that out over the course of the day. Um, and then two, um, you can only use 60 grams of carbs per hour. So that's another one of those things where it's not really beneficial to eat a thousand calorie breakfast and then not eat anything until lunch um, because you can only use so much. You could potentially crash even though you ate a thousand calories all at once. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it's better to eat smaller meals throughout the day to keep your body fueled consistently. So, and then there's also the simple carbohydrates and complex carbohydrates that I could get into. Um, but then moving on to protein, um, most of us eat plenty of protein at home. So, but backpacking food tends to be lower in protein, at least again for a vegetarian, because it, you can't just take those kinds of foods on trail. Um, tuna, you can only eat so much. Jerky, you can only eat so much. <laughs> yeah. um, but you need more protein because you're stressing your body. So again, one of my nerdy numbers, I use 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight versus just an average adult is only 0.8 grams per kilogram. So it's not quite twice as much protein, but it's quite a bit more. Um, and then fat, I just fill in the rest with that. <laughs> I don't necessarily have an amount of fat goal, um, but I try to make sure every meal has fat in it um, because it's another one of those. You're, if you only have carbs, you're going to have a sugar high and then you're going to crash. Um, so if you can include some fat, that's going to keep your energy consistent as well. Yeah. And that's the way I always understood fats is that it's like, it's a slow burning fuel that 
keeps you going throughout the day. Um, I, I feel like we're seeing it more nowadays with uh, things like keto, um, primal diets, where there's more of an emphasis on a day-to-day life eating like a high-fat diet as opposed and a low-carb diet. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, for, but- for that reason, because I think it's like carbs, it's something you burn out quickly, but fats, it's more of a slow burn throughout the day, more of a gradual one. So you're if you're eating more fats, it also makes you feel more full, if I understand it that way. If yeah, there's anyone but- out here who's listening to this who uh, is keto or primal, and I'm totally butchering this, my sincere apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, the keto folks aren't going to like me when I say this. Actually, previous to this career, I was a ketogenic dietitian um, for kids with seizures. So I have quite a bit of experience with it. But again, backpacking is a completely different stress on your body than day to day at home. Um, so your body needs carbs when you're backpacking because yeah. you're burning all those carbs that are, that's glycogen in your muscles and liver. So you're burning that up unless you're doing just an easy stroll, then you can maintain your day on fat. So, but most of us are busy climbing and scaling mountains up and down. Um, so you need carbs for that surge of energy to get you through there. Yeah. You need the immediate, the immediate surge, I think. Right. With fats, is it, we, we always hear about like, you know, the good fats versus the bad fats. Not all fats are created equal. Um, is there specific attention for backcountry and backpacking uh, where we should pay specific attentions to the good fats as opposed to the bad fats? Or is it just all fats are okay? Um, I think that just comes more into what types of food you eat. If you're going to eat more processed food, you're going to have more bad fats, a lot more, typically more saturated fats versus if you're eating healthier foods or whole foods, you're going to be eating more unsaturated, which are the good fats, like olive oil, um, those kind of things. And there's fats in your nuts, there's fats and even quinoa has fat in it, but that's a good fat um, versus eating processed food, which has more trans. Well, they're pretty good about taking out trans fats these days, um, which is terrible fat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but they tend to have more saturated fat. Okay. Excellent. See, this is so helpful to know because actually like literally as soon as we're done talking on this call, um, me and a buddy, we're heading out on an 80 mile, uh, backpacking trip through part of the Uintas. And if it's all right with you, I'd honestly like to give you a breakdown of what my meal plan is day to day and see what you might think of it. Like what areas I could possibly improve on. So Uh, I guess the other thing I could say is I'm six feet tall. I'm 175 pounds. I consider that probably a appropriate weight for me. Would you say, first of all, like we're going to be averaging like 15 miles a day with about 3000 feet of gain going through the Uintas. What would you say my calorie requirements would probably be for, um, for something like that? And I can't tell you um, because everybody's so different. So what I recommend people doing is keeping food journals is look at what you eat on a day-to-day basis just at home at baseline because that's going to tell you what you need normally and then think about all your other backpacking trips what did you eat kind of jot that down did that work was that not enough like were you running out of energy and then what you can do because several of my coaching clients we found out is that they eat less when they're backpacking than they do at home Mm -hmm. so it was a giveaway that okay that's not going to work we need to ramp up your calories and again, I eat five to 6,000 calories when I'm backpacking. And most women that I've talked to eat 2,500 or 3,500. But yeah. I would be miserable at that amount. So I can't give recommendations without doing a little homework first. True. That's a good point. And I do wonder about it because like sometimes it's hit or miss, uh, especially like around the middle of the day. I find myself getting hungry really quickly. Um, and typically what my breakfasts are on trips like this and what I was planning on it being for this trip is for breakfast, I would have two pop tarts, um, a cliff bar 
and like a Snickers bar. Do you think that's at all like fitting with a healthy breakfast? Again, I know it varies from person to person, but like for me, it's it's solid for two or three hours, but then I want start getting like hungry quickly. That's it's all those simple sugars. That's exactly what's happening is you're getting that sugar rush early on and those are being metabolized so fastly that you're crashing and you're hungry again. Um, so if you're to eat a more whole grain kind of breakfast with some nuts and the fat and the protein, then you're going to be able to go a lot longer um, and feel better. So that's my first inclination. It's a lot of sugar all at once. <laughs> okay. I'm hitting myself with too much sugar at the beginning. Yeah. Okay. That's the first thing. Second thing then, like, yeah, usually when I was getting hungry around noonish, um, I would sit down and I would eat just either a straight eight ounce block of cheese or just an eight ounce block of uh, summer sausage. And that would literally be it. And it was a very full feeling. Like I would feel really full, really satisfied. And then I'd have a lot of energy um, for like three to four hours after that. Do you think there's any type of supplement that should be put on that? Or is that something where it's like, whoa, that's way too much fat and protein you're putting in yourself all at once? <laughs> that's a lot of fat all at once. <laughs> um and this again, I'm a big, this is where I talk about combination food. I'm a big believer in having carbs, protein, and fat in every single bite of food. Um, so you felt really full because of the volume of fat that you had. Um, and you've probably felt good for a while because those foods take so much longer to digest. But if you burn through those carbs early in the morning, because it's mostly sugar, and then you're not replenishing carbs at lunch, you're going to crash probably later in the afternoon um, because you're you're falling behind as the day goes on. So but I mean, is that what you normally would feel like by the time dinner's coming, you're starving? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely starving. I would usually, um, like around three o'clock, I would take like a afternoon break and usually it would just be a candy bar <laughs> <laughs> just like for a pick me up essentially. Right. Um, and that's what it does. It's giving you a quick sugar boost to get you through. Yeah. But then, yeah, by dinner time, I would always be absolutely starving. And then at dinner time, um, I would do one of the dehydrated meals. Like uh, my default is usually called uh, it's like ham mac and cheese. So it's just like Annie's gluten free mac and cheese because I like to be gluten free as much as I can. I know I eat pop tarts, but it's like so it's not <laughs> it's like... a so it's it's not a uh, <laughs> allergy, but it's a. Uh, preference but like so i'd have a, a dehydrated meal with like mac and cheese dehydrated ham dehydrated um frozen vegetables like corn peas beans and then um i would always have a spam single just to try to give myself a little extra protein and fat uh because i always felt that would fill me up more do you think there's anything that's lacking in that department that actually sounds like one of your best meals of the whole day <laughs> um, because you're <laughs> getting the carbs protein and fat all in one meal um, so do you feel more satisfied after eating a meal like that? Oh yeah. Um, other than like when I was in the late stages of my AT through hike where it didn't matter how much I ate, I was always still hungry. You're always hungry right? Um, but yeah, like on a shorter backpacking trip that I would be able to sleep really well through the night. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd actually still feel a little full before launching into my pop tarts and <laughs> starting the cycle over again <laughs> starting the cycle of torture over again yeah so, so it sounds like that last one yeah the big thing is variety it sticks out in my head like yeah there's proteins there's fats there's carbs in it um and that gives me a better balance as opposed to my earlier mirrors where it's really like i'm doing all of one thing at one time right interesting and then the other thing i want to know like are there any things based on hearing that list? Are there any specific like 
vitamins I might be missing out on minerals like vitamin C, or should I have like more calcium or potassium, anything that might be a good uh, vitamin or mineral supplement to keep you going? Um, and typically for most shorter hikes, you're not going to be deficient in things. It's more of when you're going to be a through hiker or a triple crowner that it takes weeks to months for most deficiencies to happen. And if you are able to eat at least a little bit of a variety of diet, then you're going to get most of those to keep you from becoming deficient. Um, so like you said, vitamin C, um, just making sure you're getting in some dehydrated fruit with maybe your trail mix. You're going to get some of that in. But again, 50 percent of that is lost. Um, so it's really hard to eat enough of those things. When I'm through hiking, I take a multivitamin just to kind of cover myself. Um, but then I'm pretty good about I'm, I love fruit in everyday life. So I go into town and eat a huge bowl of fruit. So that kind of replenishes me before I go out again. Um, and some women have a hard time with becoming anemic for through hikers um, because if you're not paying attention to food labels, it's easy to not eat enough iron while you're through hiking. And that's just it makes me really sad if somebody goes home because they're anemic when that's something that could have been controlled just by eating food. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I wonder about these things, because you have so many special diet considerations um, that you have to do through a hiker. You know, you're vegetarian. I lean gluten free. Um, you have dairy free or you might people who have nut free or grain free. Um, do you find that anybody who has like a special diet, um, that's an extra difficult uh, obstacle for them? Or do you think we're at the point where there's options for everybody? There's pretty much options for everybody. But then again, like I said, I believe in taking my home diet into the backcountry. So if I'm doing a good job of eating well at home, then I can take those same things into the backcountry with me. Um, so if you're not necessarily eating very well at home, then you're not going to eat well on trail. It's just that much harder. Um, but yeah, there's so many options and products out there now that there's something for everybody. Yeah, it is amazing. Like, uh, living some time in Pennsylvania, living some time in the rural Midwest and Wisconsin for a while, and just seeing over the years how there's more and more options available, regardless of whatever your diet is. Like it was impossible to find gluten-free stuff, you know, in some grocery stores up to like three years ago. And now there's tons. And so like every restaurant you go into nowadays, it seems like you can find it. So, but yeah, I mean, it's so this this information you're providing is so good. Um, it's and it's going to help me. I know for sure this week <laughs> when I'm going on the Uintas, I uh, know when I make my grocery store run later today, I'm probably going to start getting more like nuts and stuff to put in with my breakfast. Um, but for you, all these recipes, all these options, all these tips that you can provide, um, we can find them uh, on the Backcountry Foodie website, right? How does the how does the website work? How does how are you able to reach out to the consumer to uh, all of us wanting to go into the back country. Uh, how do we get information from you on your website? So our website's backcountryfoodie.com. And right now we're actually growing. We're completely redesigning our platforms. But the way our platforms are currently designed is we have two different ones. We have 75 ultralight recipes. So essentially it's kind of like an online cookbook. Um, with all of my initial recipes that I made. So you can go in and use those. They're all categorized. Like we were just saying, you've got gluten-free, nut-free, vegan, vegetarian. They're all categorized that way. Oh, nice. Um, and then the second option we have is for people that are looking for more help with the actual meal planning aspect is I have 175 recipes in there. So it's the same 75 that were based on my through hikes 
plus another 100 that I've created kind of based on all the things I've learned since. Um, so I actually think the next 100 are that much better <laughs> than the first 75. Um, and then the meal planning portion is we've got webinars for like we were just talking about how to determine your calories, how many carbs, protein, how to use a dehydrator, um, how to write your own meal plans. And we actually offer loads of sample meal plans too. So, and they're all in Google Sheets. So you can go in and plug and play with all of our recipes and it automatically calculates all your nutrition. So essentially I've already done the work for you. You just go in and kind of pick out what you'd like to eat and put it in and then it tells you what you're getting. Um, and then we also have twice a month coaching calls. So I get online for a Zoom meeting with anybody that wants to attend and we just talk back with backpacking food um, for an hour, twice a month. So, and then there's cheap sheets. I mean, it's loaded. It's got everything you need to know about how to meal plan um, for that. But like I was just saying, we've outgrown the platform. So we're redesigning it and it's gonna look a lot like allrecipes.com. So okay. we're really excited about the filtering options. So you could actually put, I'm dairy-free, nut-free, and gluten-free, and I want a breakfast. And it'll put, pop up only those sorts of recipes. Um, so it's going to be that kind of thing. It's going to be even more, and it'll make the meal plans for it, make a shopping list for you, which we're super excited about. Um, so you don't have to do that yourself anymore. <laughs> nice. Easier and easier. Yeah. So what? What I'd like to know, do you have, uh, what would you say your biggest success story is from these websites, from the people you've been working with over the years? Um, I love just getting the emails every day saying, I'm so glad that I changed the way I eat in the backcountry because now I feel awesome. Like, and I actually enjoy my food <laughs> that I look forward to eating my dinner and my pals are like, what are you eating? <laughs> like, where'd you get that? <laughs> It is nice um, to get that with the dehydrated meals. Occasionally people looking over going, what is that? Yeah. So it really, it truly makes my day to get those emails of people just telling me their success stories, that they feel better, they're hiking better just because they're eating a little bit better. Awesome. Do you do, um, if I understand, are you moving towards commercial package meals at all? We were pre-COVID, <laughs> so we're, yeah, so we're at a little bit of a standstill right now. Um, we've had so many people that lead busy lifestyles um, or just don't have a desire of making their own recipes. So they've said, I would love your food if you just make it for me. So we're in the process of moving towards that, what we're calling phase two of Backcountry Foodie. Um, but unfortunately, the kitchens that we've been wanting to use aren't accepting new businesses right now. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're just kind of a standstill waiting for that to happen. Um, but ideally we'll start making that. Um, and I would love to have a through hiker service too, a resupply service, um, where hikers can be like, Hey, I'm struggling. What do I need? And then I could actually help them with their boxes. Oh my gosh. Reason 6 million, why this pandemic needs to be over. Right. <laughs> help us all out. That's awesome stuff to hear. I mean, and it's so great to hear this information from you. Of course, we're going to make sure to give a link to the website and everything that you can find in our show notes. Um, but I want to close also by asking, what's next for you? You've been doing van life recently, right? Yeah, we just hit a year and a half in our van full time. Um, and to be honest, we don't know what's next because we don't know what's happening tomorrow. <laughs> so it's part, of our, it's part of our lifestyle and we love it because we're getting to see so many places that we weren't able to see before because we were stuck at our day jobs. And my husband, same thing. He'd gotten to a point, his commute was an hour and a half and he was just stressed out all the time. So now we wake up when we want, we go to bed when we want, we drive where we want and we're seeing all these amazing places. So we have no desire to really go back to a standard lifestyle anytime soon. 
so cool and it's nice to be able to literally go anywhere you want because your house is literally on wheels my wife and i did that uh full time for about a year and it's just it's a very freeing feeling it takes a lot of work though it's not as easy as i think most people. yeah it takes a lot of work you really have to plan like today we have to go into town to get water actually i consider it like a posh through hiker lifestyle (laughs) because (laughs) you know yeah that's a good way of putting it we don't shower for three to four days. We go into town only once or twice, like once, twice a month, maybe. Um, and when we do, we go into resupply. We get water, we get food, we get gas, we do laundry. And then we go back out to the wilderness. We spend all of our time in the wilderness. We don't spend time in town. Um, so I do consider it like a posh dirtbag lifestyle, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, this is actually something to know because, you know, I think there's people listening who aren't just through hikers um, or long distance backpackers. You could have people who are full-time van lifers, people who go on overlanding and off-roading trips as well, too. Um, would you say, What would you say your meal planning has been like doing? Uh, doing van life as compared to like living full time in a house. We eat just as the way we did before. Um, and because we run a food business out of the van, my kitchen is specifically designed to be almost a regular kitchen. Um, it takes up quite a bit of room in here, to be honest. Um, so I specifically have a large sink. I specifically have a large refrigerator. Again, we're vegetarian, so it's loaded with fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, the only thing we don't have is an oven. And I was really not much of a baker at home anyway. So it's really not much different than what I was used to doing true so there it is there you go it is like the uh the posh version of through hiking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool this is so great to know and you know we wish you all the best with your continued van life and aaron it was so great having you on the show today thank you so much for all the advice that you've given to me and hopefully of course to the audience as a whole we'd, we'd really do appreciate it yeah thanks you're welcome <laughs> yeah no problem all right so you take care aaron and uh hope to talk with you again soon Thank you to Aaron Owens Mayhew for coming on the show. Personally, I learned so much about what kind of food I should be taking into the backcountry from now on. I don't know if I'm going to part ways with my Pop-Tarts, but maybe just maybe three candy bars a day isn't such a good idea. Now you can learn more about meal planning and backcountry foodie by visiting backcountryfoodie.com. You can also find Aaron on Instagram on the Backcountry Foodie page. And as always, we'll make sure to include links to all of these places in our show notes, which you can find by going to the Gaia GPS blog. Next week, we're going to be doing something a little different with the show. Specifically, our wonderful Out and Back podcast producer and backpacking guide, Mary Kokenauer, is going to tell us the story about her early days as a wilderness ranger in the Lake Tahoe Basin and how she learned to backpack solo. She talks about how she overcame her fear of spending the night all alone in the woods and eventually learned to love solo backpacking. Until, one day, she discovered that she wasn't really alone after all. A man had been stalking her for almost an entire summer. You don't want to miss this storytelling session. It's both gripping and it's inspirational as Mary talks about how she continued to solo hike to overcome her fear of being followed. It's a great story, so again, make sure to tune in next week. One last thing before we go. Don't forget to grab your Gaia GPS discount. Go to GaiaGPS.com slash podcast, G-A-I-A GPS.com slash podcast for up to 50% off on an annual membership. Also, if you like the show, we would really appreciate it if you'd share it with your friends and leave a review on iTunes. Really helps keep the show going. 
So until next week, this is Shanti. Have a great week, everyone.